0: Hello everyone, my name is Vuk and you're listening to the Anablock podcast. This show is exploration of enterprise software, technology and business. We share behind the scenes stories of successful people in the world of technology. When we don't record podcasts, we support clients with implementations of Salesforce applications. For more information about us, please visit anablock.com. Thanks for listening and enjoy this episode. All right, so we're good to go. Uh, George, uh, thank you for being my guest today on Anablog podcast. Uh, You and I had an opportunity to meet before, uh, talk a bit about your product. But maybe to kick it off, do you want to introduce or let the audience know uh, what is Superglue and what do you guys do?
1: Yeah, I'm really excited to be here. Um, My name is George. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Superglue. And what we do is we're uh, essentially the easiest way to connect your CRM, uh, integrate your CRM. Sorry, cut this part out. But we're we're the easiest way for your customers to integrate with their customer CRM. Um, So if you're a B2B SaaS application and you need to integrate Salesforce or HubSpot into your application, we give developers a toolkit to do so.
0: Excellent. So what would be your target market for your product?
2: Yeah, our target are developers
1: at B2B SaaS companies in um, various go to market product spaces. So for example, sales enablement, sales automation, marketing automation. Uh, the problem that we're solving is that a lot of these products that sell to go to market teams need to integrate with a CRM with their customer CRM. And the developers at these companies need to build these integrations to unlock revenue for their customers. And we want to make it really, really easy for those developers to build these integrations. Normally, it could take anywhere from four to six weeks. We want to cut that down to just a few days.
0: Okay. And how did you, or I'm not sure if it was you or maybe one of your teammates, how did you guys come up with this idea? What, what have you seen in the market that was missing and that you thought you, your product or basically your, your, your uh, creation could be a good fit?
1: Yeah. Um, so it was actually a problem that we experienced ourselves. So for some context, before we started Superglue, we were building another company in the marketing automation space. And you can think of um, HubSpot or Marketo as kind of maybe the canonical example of what we're trying to do. We were essentially taking customer data, helping marketers send personalized emails to their customers. And as part of that, our customers wanted us to log those emails over to their Salesforce instance. So, you know, in your system of record, you could see for every single account, every single contact, the entire history of communications with them. And that was when we started building our own Salesforce and HubSpot integrations and realized kind of throughout that process that it was actually pretty hard to do to do so. Not so much setting up the initial integration, but maintaining it over time, handling all the different edge cases that inevitably come up when you try to integrate with something as complex and sophisticated as Salesforce, realizing that everybody implements Salesforce a little bit differently. And, and that just became something that we didn't want to have to do again. And we, it, it turns out that a lot of people have to go through that motion. We decided to solve that problem so that other people can uh, don't have to go
0: through the pain that we did. Got it. Um, are you So you're targeting, obviously, Salesforce. You said you're also are you targeting any other CRM products or any other enterprise cloud systems?
1: Yeah, so we started with Salesforce. And the next uh, integration that we're going to be building out is HubSpot. Um, so you know, we find that amongst the customers that we talk to, those two have dominant kind of uh, mind share. And they're the most, most popular. Um, and then I think beyond that, we'll, we'll have to see um, as an early kind of stage company, we're really focused on just making those two really good. And then we'll figure out how we want to expand from there
0: got it uh when it comes to salesforce um what are some of the you know uh, i have a bunch of questions but just to kind of kick it off with maybe uh when you were building this product, what are some of the challenges you might have faced working with the salesforce apis yeah i
1: i mean first in general it doesn't have to be api
2: related yeah
1: yeah Yeah, I mean, the first question is just which API's, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I I think, you know, when we when our team started looking at Salesforce in the beginning, obviously, as developers, the first thing that you do is go you go to the docs, and you start looking at the API. Um, But what you find in Salesforce, is there's more than a dozen different API's, and each of which has its own quirks and limits and considerations. So, you know, to really kind of understand um, the entire Salesforce ecosystem, you have to spend a lot of time in the docs just ramping up on when to use what for which use case and how to match that up. And, and I think that was actually a pretty big challenge because you know time is you know the thing that is most critical. And we spent like more than a week trying to kind of really understand and prototype and make sure that the choices that we were making from a technical standpoint, could actually help us do the thing that we wanted to do and deliver the experience we wanted to our customers. Um, And that was just in the beginning. And once we actually started building things out, we ran into other kinds of edge cases. So, you know, different customers were on different editions of Salesforce, which came with its own limitations and different customers would implement their Salesforce differently. So some would use leads, but not contacts. Others would use contacts, but not leads as standard objects. For example, some customers use custom objects and custom fields and others didn't. So needing to map uh, different fields in different Salesforce instances, the same concepts within our product was something that we need to expose to the customers and then handling all the different errors that could happen if you didn't do that correctly. Um, that created a lot of complexity and a lot of like work for our engineers, um,
2: even after the initial integration was built.
0: OK. Uh, based on your experience working with um, Salesforce in general, APIs and so on, what do you think, what, what's the biggest value that um, a third party developer that wants to use your, your um, product gets? out of this
2: yeah it's uh it's just saving time and saving saving effort right um Mm -hmm. you know for us
1: and and i don't think this is this is uh unique to us because we talked to a lot of other companies who were in the same place that we were in you're constantly trying to make a buy versus build decision um and for us the build decision was four to six weeks of ramping up on Salesforce, building the integration, dealing with the ongoing things, adding enhancements. And then when a customer complains, figuring out how to debug that and then adding more conditional logic to make sure that we're handling those edge cases. Um, Had we known that that was the path that we would have to go down, we would have done something very different and hopefully look for a solution like the one that we're building. Um, our goal is to basically take that four to six weeks, as I mentioned earlier, and and really reduce the total cost to your engineers down to a couple of days. And okay. and, you know, most people don't think of Salesforce integrations as part of like their core product, because their core product's probably doing something something else, you know, whether it's for sales or for marketing. And so you want to really focus your your time and energy on your core product and try to outsource and offload um the salesforce integration
2: piece which is what we try to do
0: okay so can you maybe like walk us through um you know for example at what or which point a product manager would engage with superglue and also then what would that engagement look like from uh, engineer from engineers' perspective so you know I, I guess when a company views what you've done and what what you're offering is, what do you think at what stage should they start reaching out to you or maybe visiting your docs online so they can kind of get more familiar with the process and then once they make some decision about that, how would a developer start engaging with your um, with your uh, Process itself.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would say the 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 point at which you're thinking about integrations is the point at which you should start looking at ways and and looking at uh, ways to solve the problem, looking at Superglue. So,
0: and sorry to know, interrupt. Can think... You can just maybe elaborate a little bit more, like on what type of spe- like specifically what types of integrations we're talking about.
2: The first time you hear about uh, hear a customer ask, "Hey, I need a Salesforce integration," or "Hey, I need a HubSpot integration," um, that's a good point to
1: start kind of thinking. Okay, what are the options out there? I haven't yet prioritized it. Right, it's not going to be something I I do tomorrow or next week, but you know I'm starting to realize, hey, this is probably something that's going to be on my roadmap, and I need to think about how soon I can do it, or I need to figure out um, how much work is it is it going to be. Um, and and from there on, you know, Superglue is an open source project, uh, which which I should have mentioned earlier. But mm-hmm. what that means is, an engineer can at that point go to our GitHub page, spin up the Docker container, and actually just spin up the entire toolkit themselves and start to get a feel for how it works in the context of their product. Um, and so without talking to us or without engaging, uh, with a salesperson, uh, you can kind of get a sense of whether it's going to serve your needs and whether the developer experience is something that uh, appeals to you. And hopefully it is. Um, and at that point, um, when you go into a more formal evaluation of whether you want to build this in house, whether you want to look for tooling, hopefully you already have a pretty good sense of the value that SuperGlue can bring to you. And of course, at that point, anybody on our team. Um, I or my co-founder or any of the engineers are happy to jump on a call and just go more in-depth with the technicals, uh, the the features, um, and any other
2: concerns and questions that people have.
0: Okay. Um, How do you make, I guess, how does your company then make money um, considering it's an open source uh, toolkit?
2: Yeah,
1: so our our plan is to offer a managed uh, offering where we host the infrastructure to run the integrations. So um, today we offer a self hosted option through the open source. Mm-hmm. So you know if you have the resources and infrastructure to 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 run that to to run Superglue yourself, you're welcome to do that for free. Um, and what we see is that you know once you start doing that, not everybody. Really wants to put in the time and effort to maintain that infrastructure to kind of install new versions as they become um, available to upgrade, and and so you know we we would take that on for you so that you don't have to worry about the maintenance burden and you can just you know focus
2: on
0: building your core product. Okay, and what type of a skill set do you think is required to engage? With your um, um, technology, basically, like if a company decides to choose to use your um, um, your um, open source code like what what's the skill set that would they would need to have on the engineering side
1: yeah so our product is built for developers and um, really anybody who it's designed for anybody with who's a back-end engineer or, or even a full-stack engineer um, who's, mm-hmm. who's built any kind of integrations before, um, who's worked with third-party APIs, it should be pretty straightforward. Um, uh, so, so I would say uh, it's definitely meant for a developer. Uh, our product is not a no-code tool or a low-code tool. It is certainly, it's certainly a very code-centric tool. Um, and hopefully, you know, developers that are used to working with code will, will find that appealing.
0: OK, excellent. And I uh, just want to switch maybe gears a tiny bit. Um, I'm kind of very interested about your background. You have been, it uh, looks like, like a serial entrepreneur uh, to a certain extent. Um, I would love to learn a little bit more. Like, How did you get started uh, in general in, in the technology space? And what kind of I guess what events led to now you being the founder of Superglue, which I believe you you recently started or re- recently became the the member of the team.
1: Yeah, so so j- just to clarify, uh, I've mm-hmm. been working on a company for the last like couple of years, and we pivoted a few times, and Superglue is the new. Is the new product. Uh, but before this, yeah. uh, as I mentioned earlier, I was working on a marketing automation product um, mm-hmm. called Super Grain, not to be confused with Superglue. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so, you know, I, that that was kind of part of how how I got here. But before before starting the company, my background's been in data and analytics. Uh, I've worked in um, data science data for most of my career. Um, and then before that, at the very beginning, I worked in finance for a little bit. Um, I would say that, you know, I, I I've always been interested in technology, and when I, you know, when I kind of arrived in the Bay Area more than a decade ago, um, you know, my my skill set was really in analytics, and 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 I kind of started not unknowingly kind of got into the field of data science before data science was really a term and and at this first company called indiegogo i kind of ran everything data so data engineering business intelligence analytics data science built out a lot of the core models that powered what was essentially um, a a two-sided marketplace for um for crowdsourcing Uh, from Mm -hmm. there i joined lyft uh back in 2014 uh when the company was still pretty small and then sorry, just was fortunate to, to, enough...
0: interrupt. sorry to interrupt one second here i actually I, I have come across indiegogo sometime back uh on multiple occasions so that's uh, uh definitely a name that resonates in my head um i'm just kind of wondering what has happened with indiegogo is um was it acquired or is it still in business
2: yeah,
1: IndieGoGo is still around. Um, it's okay. uh, as far as I know they've they've gone through uh, some leadership changes, but uh, the core mm-hmm. product is still there as it as it was uh, when I mm-hmm. when I left. Um, and and uh, you know I haven't been close to the company, so I can't tell you much about how the business no is doing. But I, I'm pretty sure you can go to indiegogo.com and and check out what they're doing.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Got it. Uh, got, it, got it, got it. So you, uh, Dan, afterwards, you uh, uh, moved over to Lyft. Obviously, that's a very familiar name, brand. How was, uh, what was your position over there?
1: So I joined as an IC doing data analytics, uh, which was what I was doing in my previous role. Um, and then the company was just growing really, really quickly, um, expanding to new cities, uh, growing the user base, um, and, and this was back in 2014, uh, when, when Lyft was mostly operating out of San Francisco and California and not a household name by any means. Um, mm-hmm. but we quickly grew over the next several years, you know, expanded across the country and then my role also expanded as part of that because we started hiring and building out a team. So I ended up running analytics and data at Lyft, um, as part of that, built out a team of data analysts, data scientists, data engineers. Um, I got to work on a lot of different parts of uh, the, the the business uh, because data was such an important part of everything we did. And I think, you know, I was really fortunate to be there during a period of hyper growth where I think the company grew 150X or something like that. Um, and and so it was a really formative experience for me. I think I was there for almost six years. And toward the end, I you know, I stayed we went public, which was a crazy, um, exciting event. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, after the IPO, I, I took some time and realized that, hey, it's, it's something that I wanted to do for a long time, which is to do something entrepreneurial, do something on my own. And there was no better time to do it. So uh, I decided to take some time off, uh, think about what I wanted to do next. Um, so coincided with the pandemic and COVID. So I stayed, a, spent a lot of time at home Uh, in 2020 and you know over time i kind of honed in on what i wanted to work on and eventually started a company
0: and um you mentioned you pivoted uh, multiple or twice um what was the i guess kind of to a certain extent what led to it and how was that experience because you know a lot of companies especially startups have to go through that experience uh, it's never at least out of my experience it's never like um an easy thing but um, i'm i'm just kind of curious how was your experience
2: yeah i th- i think
1: no you know no company goes in no founder starts a company um hoping to pivot but as you mentioned hmm. it's it's actually a very common occurrence at the early stage and so you know i think the first time we had to pivot it was kind of hard because it's not something that you expect it's not something the team expects um mm-hmm. and i think a second time is definitely easier because you've already been through it once i would say the biggest thing about you know the journey so far is that there's just a lot of ups and downs along the way and i think uh learning to take those in stride and 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 kind of stay stay focused and um stay optimistic and and focus on execution is like then the then maybe the most important takeaway for me
2: personally and you know i think the the other part of this is um
1: you you know as a as a founder um a lot of these dis- difficult decisions are are just the ones that you have to make and um you know i think that's something that i didn't appreciate when i was
2: working at a company it's it's very different um
1: the the type of kind of responsibility and the type of um, psychology that you have when it's your own company versus when you're working for someone else so that's something i've definitely learned along the way
0: okay <clears throat> what was um kind of general terms impact on the company morale or basically employee morale during the stage when you decide to make a pivot from thing a to thing b did you experience that at all or was your was there any impact on the morale itself
2: i i would say I, i would say like
1: you know for us i was we were reasonably fortunate that i think people kind of knew what they signed up for and that this was part of the journey. And of course, we tried to do a lot to frame
2: frame things in that in that in that way, which is hey, this is this is kind of normal. And and I think, you know, depending on depending on, you know,
1: who the folks on your team are and, and whether they've worked at early stage startups in the past, this may or may not be familiar with familiar to them. Um, for us, we didn't have so much of a morale problem, um, but that doesn't also make it... There's a lot of other challenges that come with pivoting, which is, you know, how do you how do you figure out what your new direction is? Um, you know, how do you go back to the drawing board? And, you know, how do you go back to the ideation stage with a bigger team? Um, what what do folks on the team do, especially if they're engineers, when you don't yet know where you're going to build yet? And so these are the, I think those are the questions that I think we had to work through. It was less of a morale issue for us specifically. Um, and, and then I think the second time, again, that we had to do it, it was a lot easier
0: than the first. Mm-hmm. Got it. <clears throat> um, how do you, um, or how did you end up? You know, obviously, this is like a more of a, you know, I mean, Salesforce centric. We tried to cover a lot of, technology specifically enterprise technology or enterprise software um but i guess when did you start first working with salesforce and how did you come to a stage today where you are um might be wrong but i think you're primarily now maybe focused on the salesforce ecosystem Uh, how did that all come to play
2: yeah i
1: again it, it just came through our pretty naturally through our previous product. Um, when mm-hmm. we were building marketing automation and a customer is asking you to integrate with their Salesforce, then you naturally get pulled into that direction and you're gonna spend time learning about what Salesforce is, how to integrate, it, how to integrate with it, and all the considerations and, and workflows that people have already set up around Salesforce. And I think what we learned is that Salesforce for a lot of our customers was the hub that a lot of applications integrated with. And so they ran their entire business through Salesforce. Um, And and you start to appreciate just how critical it is and just how many different things it can do and um, all the different ways you can configure it. Um, So I I think it, it was, for us, it was very natural because the problem that we were solving now was a very kind of natural extension of the problem that. We had to solve for ourselves previously, and
2: um, and you know if it weren't for for our customers asking for a Salesforce integration, we probably wouldn't have planned it there,
0: okay when it comes to um, you've been obviously working with Salesforce intimately, uh, meaning like with um, um with the platform, so with the apis and so on um. Your team, your, was your team when you first started before you made a pivot, or, or did they, I'm kind of asking this as an engineer, did they have any experience writing Apex or any working with Salesforce APIs or did you all um, sort of after your pivot decide to learn uh, how to work with the APIs and maybe get some of the skills that are necessary on the, as far as engineering goes to, to make this product happen?
2: Um well, you know
1: i I would say we we started out with no operational experience, but the first time we had we had to gain experience was building a Salesforce integration into our previous product, right And so um, this was last year
2: when we were you know when we were building this, and um, you know
1: I, I think that experience was what helped us develop more intuition around the product, but also kind of realize that. Hey, this wasn't that fun to do, um,
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: and 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 so now I think if if last year was kind of dipping our toes and really familiarizing, familiarizing ourselves with Salesforce, now it's kind of like okay, now generalizing what we learned to see how we can make it easier for other people who also need to build and integrate with Salesforce.
0: Okay. And based on your experience so far working with the Salesforce platform, what do you think Salesforce is doing well, and what needs improvement, in your opinion?
1: I I would say you know as a I I would I would say there's we're we're still learning, um, and I'll preface that with this with that. Um, but one of the things is Salesforce is is incredibly powerful. And there's a lot you can do with it. Uh, It's almost unlimited in terms of just the pure functionality, in terms of how you want to use it, how you want to configure it, what you wanted to use it for. There's so many different use cases. Um, I think the natural downside of that is it becomes really hard and unwieldy to kind of understand how to do something because the documentation is. is very deep and it's also very broad, and and so
2: you know I think to relay some of the feedback that I've heard from the
1: team, uh, our engineers, is that it's just kind of um, the, the the documentation could be organized better, and there could be better
2: examples. Um, there could be uh,
1: you know more documentation when it comes to handling certain types of errors and edge cases. And what to do under certain types of um, in certain types of situations, um, and I don't know if this is just a function of the complexity of, of Salesforce, but but I get you know again, this is one of the problems that we're trying to solve for other developers, which is to make it kind of easier to grok and get up to speed and build your integration, so you don't have to worry about all the intricacies and operational complexity that comes with integrating with
2: Salesforce
0: got it i I, i'm wondering um i haven't uh had an opportunity yet to implement your product but i'm curious um do you think um based on the documentation that you have built and just in general the code that you have published do you think that someone who's a non-salesforce developer would be able to work with your product or basically are you kind of geared more towards engineers and developers who are already part of the whole Salesforce ecosystem?
2: Yeah, it's a great question.
1: We're, we're more geared toward engineers and developers who are not that familiar with the Salesforce ecosystem, right? People who are not familiar with all their APIs, who are certainly not familiar with Apex um, and the entire app ecosystem. Um, we're geared toward people who are just kind of full stack developers. They might be building a Salesforce integration for the first time, because one of their customers just asked them for it. And now they have to kind of figure out how to do it. And today they can spend a week or two kind of ramping up on Salesforce APIs, learning the ecosystem, or, you know, we can abstract away a lot of that complexity for them and they can just use Superglue. And, and so we're hoping that for, for those developers, we provide a very like easy interface for them to still get what they want and deliver what they need to their customers.
0: OK. And um, as far as the, uh, does your product have a managed package any like or maybe any like connected apps, um, any of these traditional sort of apps that, that kind of are dropped into like a Salesforce org or? Um, or I guess no, or not.
1: Yeah. So so yeah. Maybe to go in, to explain a little bit of what our product does. Uh, we mm-hmm. help developers build connected apps that integrate with Salesforce. So we don't do. Ma- we we're, we're not supporting managed packages. If you want to build a managed package or or list a managed package um, list your app on the App Exchange. Um, that's not that's not what SuperGlue is meant for to do. Um, For us, um, if you want to interact with the REST API, the Bulk API, the SOAP API, the the PubSub streaming APIs through your product, and you want to control the UI and settings, and and you want to make it easy for your customers to go through an OAuth flow so that um, your application can talk to their Salesforce instance, we make it really easy to develop that type of application right, which which be, which would be a connected application.
0: OK, understood. And um, what are, I guess, what's on your roadmap? Anything uh, that you would like to share with us? Is there anything new coming or are you iterating over the existing features and functionality?
1: Yeah, there's a lot of exciting things um, coming down the pipe. Uh, I would say the first thing that we're doing is that that's worth mentioning is maybe kind of real-time webhooks so a lot of times we talk to customers who want to subscribe to changes to standard objects in their customer salesforce instance for example when a contact changes or when uh, an opportunity changes stage they want to be able to subscribe to that change and take some action in their application for it right Uh, maybe they're Mm -hmm. doing building a sales automation tool they want to start sending a notification to their users uh, when that happens and so we may with webhooks, real-time webhooks, we're, we're making it really easy for them to just listen to those changes and react to them so they don't have to pull and check to see the status of, of the opportunity every five minutes or every 10 minutes. It happens in real time and it happens in a push-based manner rather than a pull-based manner. Um, I think another thing that we're working on, as I mentioned, uh, is, is HubSpot um, because oftentimes customers want to integrate with both HubSpot and Salesforce. And they don't want to do two different integrations. They want to just kind of integrate once and get the benefits of both. So we're working on adding HubSpot next, um, and, and then I think like there's a long list of features that we're gonna we're gonna be um, supporting. Custom objects uh, is, is a big one, uh, you know, for, for for obvious reasons. And um, you know, the full roadmap is on our website. It's on our docs. So if you go to docs.superblue.com/roadmap, um, we we have. Uh, a a roadmap that we're constantly updating as we ship more features and make changes. So I
2: encourage
0: you to check us out. Uh, Excellent. Uh, Yeah, the event hooks, that sounds very interesting. So is this something based on, or um, like um, event-driven architecture specifically, I guess similar or same as like Apache Kafka or or maybe like, like the platform events in Salesforce? Uh, if you can maybe elaborate a little bit
1: yeah yeah so you know exactly platform events or CDC events um from salesforce and you know these are supported and what we're using is the new pubsub api to uh to to forward those uh events over to our customers so that they can consume um consume them however they want so uh you know today it's just as a webhook but in the future we can also write those into a kafka topic that they can subscribe to mm-hmm. if they, are, they already have kafka set up on their on their side but the easiest way to consume this is just as a webhook mm-hmm.
0: and
2: um and we so really listening- it
0: easy for them to do so you're listening uh, you will be listening to the events that are happening within the salesforce data model and then uh, publishing those events to like a third party system or external system correct
1: publishing them to our our customer system yep
0: okay does it work the other way around like can you listen to events in another system and then you know do something in salesforce with those events
2: I'm
0: just yeah, out of curiosity totally. and, yeah
1: so so in that case it would be more of an api trigger so to, mm-hmm. there's a common use case, which is you know some one of our customers might be a sales automation tool, and when a when a customer clicks a button, they want to trigger some type of update in their customer Salesforce, mm-hmm. and and so that would be an API trigger that use case that we would support, um, mm-hmm. and 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 I think it, it's a pretty common one. So so yes,
0: got it and um also i'm curious about your when it comes to your background you have listed something on your linkedin uh regarding uh being an angel investor uh investing in in startups can you maybe tell us a little bit about that what what are you doing in that space
1: yeah i i mean i i would say you know i've been in the tech ecosystem and startup ecosystem for a really long time now and um, I, I think my my angel investing started more as a hobby when you know i some of my friends started companies of their own and i wanted to support them and and you know have have a feel invested in their journey and be able to support them along the way and and so it began as just investing in some of my friends companies and then i think over time i started to uh, to make that a little bit more more formal and um talk to companies that i thought were interesting or that you know, I, I, I ran into and or, you know, founders that I met. Um, I would say I'm not an active angel investor by any means because <laughs> I've got my own company to run. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, um, but, but yeah, if you're you know, for any founders out there that are building in B2B SaaS data tools or developer tools um, generally enterprise software, those are the types of places where I have the most expertise and can probably help the most um, for me it's not really about angel investing as a craft or or you know a profession for me i do it because um you know i either want to support my friends or other founders in the eco- ecosystem and i generally feel like there's some value that i can add
0: excellent excellent so uh, where can product managers architects developers etc uh, where do they get started with superglue
1: yeah, so you know, you can go to our website, supaglue.com. Um, we have links to the docs. We have links to the, to the GitHub repo, so you can check out the code. Um, we have all our contact information is there, so you can um, reach out to us. Um, you can also message me directly at george.supaglue.com, at uh, DM me on LinkedIn, uh, DM me on Twitter. Uh, so um, always always down to talk and always excited to learn more Uh, from people who have been in this ecosystem longer than I have.
0: Awesome. Thank you, George, for being my guest today.
2: Thanks, Luke. This is so fun. Thank you.